pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. Already another year, Keith. Welcome to 2024. I uh, can't believe that, you know, here we are in the new year. And, you know, this is the uh, the mid-season point, traditionally, for, for the, the TV networks. So, you know, a lot of new shows coming up, usually. Uh, but I hope you had a great holidays. I, I hope that, uh, you know, it, you watched some good shows or some good movies, caught up on some of your... Uh, you know, favorite holiday stuff, but now it's time to get back into the swing of things, the post-holiday blues that a lot of us get. I think we're going to uplift people from their blues with this segment of shows that we're going to talk about uh, this time. Yeah, I think so. I'm excited. I'm very excited for the next series um, that we're doing here. We're going to be talking about the reign of HBO, the golden age, uh, because you know, there's so many great and iconic shows that come out of this network that, you know, we decided to dedicate a whole series of episodes to it. And, you know, I, I love going back in TV history and just seeing how, you know, different eras of television are defined by different players. Cause for so long, up until the early nineties, television was dominated by the three, the big three networks, right? ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox comes in and in the early 90s starts to shake things up a bit. Uh, but then, you know, HBO, they have some they have some programming throughout the 90s, but then they really start hitting it big. And this is like the, the beginning of alternative content really starting to get more critical acclaim and really start to draw more attention away from those big three broadcasters. So it's kind of the beginning of what has been called in recent years, the fragmentation of audiences. Yeah, for the better, and no, nothing against uh, um, the three networks. Like they have their identity; they have they know what shows go well with their identity. But HBO in the '90s, I think when they started to really, they wanted to branch out and actually make a claim to some of those Emmys and water cooler discussions. They they had nothing to lose. They because they didn't have to. They weren't beholden to. They were beholden to us, the subscribers, not the advertisers. They could curse however they want. They could show whatever they want. And, uh, you know, I think that's where the famous phrase go. It's it's not TV. It's HBO. Yeah, you know, the famous opening to any HBO show, the static and that chorus. Oh. And you're right. There was no obligation to please any particular advertiser. They can show whatever they want. No censors. And that was really a huge advantage they had. And of course, you know, not everyone's going to be able to want to fork more money over for a premium cable network. But at this point in time, HBO is such a household name that it doesn't even seem like that much of a big deal to do so. Word uh, of mouth. Word yeah. of mouth is really powerful just with any TV show or movie, especially now because there's so much like I don't want to say content, but there's so much streaming services and so many channels that that one show when it picks up steam, it really picks up stream, uh, steam. But with HBO, it feels like you're missing out. Yeah, if you don't have it, because 
as as we'll get into all the shows that we're, we'll be discussing over the next several weeks, you know, you get to a certain point by the early to mid two thousands when you know these these shows that start in the nineties are still running, and then you get some other really great shows that kick off. That it really is the place for the most premier content, and uh, you know, it, it leaves this long lasting legacy for for television. The, the network certainly left its mark, and it, I mean, it's definitely here to stay. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it definitely cemented itself as just a pillar of the TV landscape. They're still coming out with great content in the year 2024, but I'm happy they inspired other other networks. Like I think Showtime FX, I I think they inspired a quote unquote competition. For yeah, like it, like for that. Uh, maybe we're past the golden age of television, but just for that, like prime spot in in uh the zeitgeist uh, to say like what are people talking about and usually hbo dominates i guess the monday morning water cooler did you see what happened on hbo and now it's it really uh, it really kind of all started with hbo like it kind of that's what led into streaming in a way services and uh yeah no it's it's a landmark i would also say that yeah, it helped elevate content for television. Uh, and I think we talked about this, too, during our discussion on the 2000s about how, you know, like for so long, um, you know, like TV seemed to have much smaller stakes than 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 film. And, you know, I don't think from a writing standpoint, TV was taken as seriously. But now, again, you have HBO come in here. And then by the time you get through now in the 2000s, the broadcast networks almost followed suit trying to also have more mature content, as mature as they could have, but also just having stronger writing, uh, trying to really respect its audience more and challenge its audience more. And then, of course, yes. like you mentioned, you have the FXs, the AMCs. You also have, like, you know, USA and TNT stepping up, too. You have all these, um, you know, the, the, the writing just kept getting elevated and elevated till we got to that part where we were, as an audience, we're looking around, and we're like, man, this is the golden age of TV. So HBO, I would say, kicked that momentum off. Now, as I mentioned, there were some, there were some programs uh, that HBO had before the show we're talking about today. But I really think I want to start our series on HBO with, with the show we're talking about today, which is Sex and the City. The reason why we chose Sex in the City is I feel like it's still a show that people watch and talk about. Obviously, there's the sequel series that came out not too long ago, but I really think this is a show that's emblematic of where TV was going and what HBO was doing that its competitors could not do yet. I mean, just by the very nature of the show, you're 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 seeing things and getting things. It's definitely like a show to watch and put on after the kids go to bed. And something that the other networks were would not ever be allowed to do. Having never really watched the show, like I think it's the same thing with Buffy. Like I, I could probably even I barely, I just knew the characters' names and and their personalities. I, I didn't even know like the plot lines. Like I, I knew Mr. Big, but uh, it, I, I'm going to be honest, it wasn't a show that appealed to me. Even when I did get. HBO and HBO Max or Max or whatever we're calling it now, but I I when we had I had to watch the pilot, uh, 
I I felt like I discovered like oh my god I discovered it's like discovering a beach and then I realized that you know you look over and then there's like hotels and people just play like people discovered the show a long time ago and saw why it's great but I'm going like oh this is this is why the Barbie movie made so much money like there's that untapped market that is women uh and you have shows uh, like designing women and uh, like best friends uh, shows you know four friends four women friends in the city doing like dating but they were always networks. This is the first time it like it could go a little like you know with the HBO it could go a little more. It could show a little more. It could say a little more about women and dating and relationships and love that a network TV show could never do. Yeah, I totally know, get it. It's it's a show that. Eric introduced me to you a couple years ago, and I watched the whole show. I've seen both movies, and we'll get into that. But oh wow, uh, it is a show that uh, I'm very glad to have seen the entirety of, and I have my preferences for, you know, which which eras of the show that I I would like watch I, that I think are a little better than others. But the point is, um, yeah, I'm also very glad that I got into it because I don't think I would have gotten to the show on my own, and. You're right. They have all the one of the one of the things that is so interesting is as you watch the show, you get to know the characters from their life in the bedroom. That is not something you could do on other shows before. Everything had to be established, you know, through dialogue and through just you know maybe their careers, other ways. This show finally has a chance to show people really, and their you could argue their truest form, which is when. You know, they're, like I said, in, in the bedroom, and it reveals so much. And you also get just really um, compelling and also very, really funny content, too. This this show uh, could be very, very funny at times and, um, you know, make – I don't know. It, it's just, like you said, it's mining material here that hadn't been mined yet because it couldn't have been. Yeah, no, it's – it is kind of – it's uh, – uh beyond network sitcom it does have a, it ha, it follows the sitcom uh format uh, a little bit it, do, it doesn't have to worry about co uh commercials but there is that you know maybe plot a plot b act one act two act three and uh and i think it, it was definitely written like a sitcom but i i'm sure i'm gonna call you the expert and i'm sure it grows way beyond that like i'm sure you know uh there are overarching plot lines, overarching boyfriends. I'm sure I, I know Mr. Big, but if I'm not mistaken, don't they're they're not always together. Like that's she, correct. She, 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 you know, Carrie, the the main character, uh, Mr. Big is the the recurring on and off, but she has other long term and short term relationships. But this the same goes with all the other characters. They also have their long-term and short-term relationships too and so you can when you revisit the show you can think to yourself like okay i'm in this season because this person is married to that person or this person is with this other person yeah yeah like there's there's you know spoiler alert but there's marriages and divorces too on the show and you really uh follow these characters into very um you know high stakes situations high stakes emotionally um and you see the characters maybe even going into places uh, rom romantically and emotionally that you might not have anticipated. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
So a little history here on the Sex in the City pilot. So this aired on June 6, 1998. So, you know, right, right there, this is a summer premiere. And I think HBO, you know, they're making an intentional decision here to stay out of the broadcast schedule with this original show, right? I think it was a Saturday. I looked it up. It was a Saturday, which is HBO only does movies on Saturdays. Yeah, right. That that is very interesting. They're really trying to break a lot of rules here, not just in terms of how explicit it is, but also just trying to create their own schedule. Uh, so this this series was based on a popular column of the same name, written by Candace Bushnell, and this was a, a popular column in the New York Observer. It was uh, something that was published in that magazine from 1994 to 96, and it was just like the show, based on experiences of the writer and her friends' dating lives in New York City. And interestingly enough, uh, the, the column was originally written in the first person, but Bushnell changed the, the style to third person and created the Carrie character almost as a pseudonym so her parents wouldn't realize that she was writing about her own sex life. Just a little funny trivia there. Um, That's a, it, It's kind of... I always thought this was just like out of the brain of whoever created this. I had no idea. Like it totally makes sense to make, you know, if this uh, Candace Bushnell is writing a blog and how they met and it's like, that's a great idea for a show. Yeah. Yeah. I think the development of this uh, seemed like it was meant to be because Bushnell meets TV writer, creator Darren Starr while profiling him for Vogue. And the two decided to develop a series for, uh, you know, based on the column. And, you know, Darren Starr had previous successes with Beverly Hills and Melrose Place. So, you know, here is a guy who definitely has, I think, his thumb on popular culture, uh, especially for younger people. Although, obviously, this one is going to be a little more mature, but still something that is alternative, right? Popular, but yet alternative and has a better grasp maybe on what the real culture is as opposed to maybe like, you know, the bigger corporate production companies. I'm sure when they were talking and that seed of an idea, like, you know, he's thinking about it and then he calls like, we got to talk. This is a show. This is a show. And I'm going to write the pilot. Like I'm going to put you, I'm going to be uh, Carrie Bradshaw is going to be, uh, I, th- I was about to say Terry Bradshaw. Carrie Bradshaw is going to be a main character. You know, maybe there's a relationship there uh, fictionally. You know, can you can you imagine? But, but um, but yeah, I can imagine that too. You know, after maybe doing this profile on Darren Star, then you know, uh, the two they just keep talking, and you know, I, I think as a as a TV writer, I'm sure Star was constantly looking for the next idea, and here was one that just made so much sense. So funny enough, as they're developing this series. They get interest from HBO and ABC. And uh, Star, he chose HBO to give himself more of that creative freedom, less censorship. I can't imagine what this would have been like on ABC. I mean, even the name would have to be something different because the name is the name of the column, Sex in the City. And I, I, can't, I can't think of ABC being able to title a show, much less depict what they want to depict uh, – as dirty is. flirties, dirty and, flirties downtown. Dirty, you know, no, uh, I like, you know, but that that explains why HBO is great. Like, like the creative freedom, it says it right there. Like, I like 
you would have to a show like this, and I'm sure where this show goes would have to deal with like standards and practices. Like you can't do that, you can't show that, you can't say that. You have to say it this way. Uh, yeah. And ironically, no, I, you know, this show I have seen this show be syndicated on cable television during the day, and it's kind of like when they do it with The Sopranos. They have to like, censor it so much. It's like an entirely different show. Uh, and I think the other advantage of being on HBO too, you know, as much as the show has some structure and beats that are similar to a sitcom, it's very much shot cinematically. And I think that's something that also is beneficial for HBO. You know, you don't have to worry about, like you said, the commercial breaks. You just have, you know, the whole slot and you can make it feel a little more organic that way. So Starr wrote the pilot with Sarah Jessica Parker in mind for the lead role of Carrie. But, you know, Parker had to be convinced. He did not really find the script to be that interesting. And even after they uh, filmed the pilot and she saw the final product, she did not like it. She wanted to get out of it. She begged and begged. She she said that she would do three HBO movies for free if they let her out of her contract. But Darren Starr, you know, he kept having to convince her, like, listen, this is going to take off. This is going to be good. Trust me. And sure enough, it wound up being... You know, I think the defining role of her career, I don't think that's a bad thing to say. But, uh, you know, I think that's so so interesting. She really did. She was she was worried. And you know what? Like, to be fair, this is again, this is uncharted territory. And so who knows? Maybe this could have been if if you're in her shoes, I'm sure you, you are probably thinking like, oh, man, like if my, you know, am I making a really bad decision here? Yeah, and uh, they shot this a year before the premiere. So you like, I imagine every time she gets to go see the pilot, you yeah, you, you said her uh, best. This is uncharted territory. You have no idea. We don't even know how many people really did see it, but I'm sure word of mouth and critics, the critic reviews were like, you know, it was you got. Hey, have you heard about the Sex and the City? Uh, but yeah, and she was more out of the four. She was uh, the star, like she, and not only the main actress, but uh, she was, like you know, from Footloose. She was in Ed Wood. She she was the movie star at the oh, time. Oh, exactly, like, Hocus Pocus too. Don't forget that. Oh yeah. One. Oh my God. Yeah. No, but yeah, like, so she she was the name, and Kim Cattrall was in some movies too. Like Kim Cattrall had her uh, 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 what uh, mannequin. I, like Mannequin. I, and, uh, oh, don't forget uh, one favorite that our friends enjoy: Big Trouble in Little China. So she had been, she had a more eccentric filmography, I would say. Uh, but Sarah Jessica Parker too. I right before, like two years before this pilot airs, just a year before she films it, she's in Mars Attacks, which is like this really right. big production. You know, so she does a couple movies with Tim Burton, and she's definitely at that point an established movie star and you know to make that transition into television especially again for this you know for pay network you know it's not one of the broadcast networks i you know that i i i'm curious to see what her agent was saying about this as well because it was very risky and you know like it it's like i'm sure at the time maybe something that other film actors would have thought was maybe beneath them to do this but then of course as we see years later a lot of film actors would would want to be i'm sure would kill to be on an hbo series that was so popular and acclaimed no it's a uh, i i get where she's coming from and i i think it 
it just comes from a like you know, even watching the pilot and I enjoyed the pilot I think it was very well done but I think watching this with no reaction or audience reaction you're going like I'm I've never seen this on TV before I have no idea how this is going to play people could freak and if the 90s this is still the 90s so you have that like religious right you have no idea how people are going to react to it are they going to like when did dogma didn't dogma also come out in 98 so you could have people protesting this movie so like it's or this this tv show uh and like you know it's lewd and crude but like it's it's you know, lewd, her, but it's not it's not unsophisticated though. Uh, there oh, is no, an artistry you can, to the show, right? And you so can maybe hear, you could hear the critic you could hear like the unwarranted criticisms, like if people did criticize it. But right, her and I'm sure there's is, a fear maybe in reading just the script and not seeing what the final vision would be. You know, is it going to be more exploitative? You know, is it going to be something that comes off as trashy that could you know come off as distasteful? Which thankfully it's not. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, I think the show has an edge to it, at least in this pilot in the early years, I think that I find very appealing. Yeah, uh, no, it's, uh, it, the, we'll get into it, but it, I don't know if I will watch it. Uh, once again, this show, it's, I hope to maybe see it one day, but, uh, it's a, it's a pretty good, good pilot. I, I agree. And. Yeah, I just want to touch up too. You, we we talked about Sarah Jessica Parker, Kim Cattrall, um, Kristen Davis. Uh, I want to just sound a Seinfeld alert for her because prior to being on the show, she was in two episodes of Seinfeld as Jenna in the season eight episode, The Pothole, where she's Jerry's girlfriend, and then in the season nine episode, The Butter Shave, where she is dating Kenny Banya. So a uh, little sound alert for there. And uh, and then finally, we have Cynthia Nixon as Miranda. And I believe that she was mostly known for theater prior to this. Um, I don't know if there are any big titles to her name prior to Sex in the City. I think we should also call out, too, uh, Mr. Big being played by Christopher Noth, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Noth? Or Noth? Noth. Noth, Noth. Noth. But uh, I believe he was mostly known for Law and Order prior to Sex in the City. He was on that from 1990 to 1995 and uh, this was his next role so yeah he had experience filming tv in new york city so there you have it so this show would run for a total of six seasons and uh, 94 episodes so that's a very successful run i believe that i think season five was a shortened season and then season six had uh two halves a and b which is actually not uncommon for HBO actually, and a movie like the fact that it spawned, it, it grew movies. beyond it. Yeah, true yeah. movies, but uh, and I don't know how well the second one did, but the first one had to do well enough for them to be like. I think people just like growing up with these characters enough that they want to see them in their fifties. Uh, well, some people might. Uh, so I just want to touch on. Yeah, there were two movies, and there was a prequel series that came out on oh, the God. CW yeah, I remember in the twenty tens. The Carrie Diaries. Uh, I don't think Darren Starr had much to do with that. I think that was more of um, Candace Bushnell. And then uh, Darren Starr is definitely the person taking lead with the sequel series and just like that, which we might talk about one day. But uh, yeah, sure enough, this this 
world was brought back with three of the four principal characters. We don't have to totally get into why, but I think most people know the at least a basic idea as to why. Why? But, uh, why? <laughs> uh, but you know, it's uh, it like that's why I think this is such a great first show for us to, to bring up in our uh, you know, in our series on HBO because it really was a a cultural phenomenon and uh, a unique brand uh, of. You know, this now it's a whole franchise, right? Yeah. And there's so many other shows that would come out that would have the same zeitgeist and you know or presence in the zeitgeist. But that I think this was the first true big splash that HBO had that put it on the map. So okay, here we go. So it is now, let's say, June sixth, nineteen ninety eight. I at the time I'm just uh, about a week away from turning seven years old, so I would not be watching this. But maybe my parents. Were. I just turned eight myself. <laughs> Definitely not a show for us at the time. But let's say you know we are. Let's say we are at the age at the time, and we put on HBO. So now, Keith, I think you can take us to the pilot. Flight five two seven runway eight kilo here cleared for takeoff. We get right into our intro credits here, the Sex and the City intro here, a little jazzy sort of number here. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a fun intro, I think. You know, you get the city is a big part of the show, so you get a lot of glamour shots of the most iconic parts of the city. You know, the Chrysler Building, the uh, the Twin Towers, which uh, obviously would be taken out after two thousand one. But yeah, you, know, you get just um, a nice montage of of city life with. Carrie here in a, I don't know, an interesting outfit. Uh, she definitely was an eclectic dresser on the show. Uh, but, you know, a little, I guess, irony. She gets water splashed on her from a bus driving by that has her uh, her column advertised on it. So that's, yeah. What what Do you like this intro? Because I, I think it's a fun intro. I don't really skip it when, when I'm bitching the show. Well, having no idea what the show, like, I knew it was like a comedy, but I, like, or a dramedy, or like I, I really didn't know anything about the show. I didn't even know what the theme music sounded like. Uh, I, when she got splashed by the bus that carried her uh, column poster, I, I'm like, oh, I think we're, I'm going to be okay. I think like it's, it's kind of uh, – it's not a satire. It's not a parody, but it's more of a just like we're going to have fun. We're, we're gonna have fun with these observations here. We're gonna have fun with these characters. It's not, uh, you know, not every moment is gonna be taken seriously, but uh, yeah, we're we're gonna have a laugh here and there. Yeah, I think what really uh, is captured here in the intro is the sense of playfulness and thoughtfulness that would be key to the show, and also maybe a sense that uh, the city. You know, it's a fun place to be, but sometimes it gets you. <laughs> sometimes you have something like getting splashed with dirty street water. That's just part of living in the city. That's a does the city, uh, because it you know New York. Um, does the city feel like a character? Oh, absolutely. I okay. mean, the characters. You know, they spend so much time in the city encountering all sorts of of people, usually from their own world of these like 
you know, like successful white collar, 30 something year old singles, right? But then, you know, they also just, um, you know, they're just always in the street. You just use, they're always within the hustle and bustle. That's such a big part of the show. And also like different scenes of the city, like culturally, you're getting a nice snapshot of what, you know, what, what was like the big, what was the big nightlife in New York in 1998, right? Like just what, it's, it's a nice, um, you know, snap, like I said, snapshot of what that was. So we're going to go right into this first scene here. Uh, Carrie, she narrates a lot of the show. So she's writing about uh, an English journalist named Elizabeth who dated an investment banker named Tim. And it seemed like this very uh, romantic and I, you know, sort of fantasy situation where they meet in an art gallery and things are going great and they're having amazing sex and they're just uh, now they're looking at homes. But all suddenly, Tim starts stops calling Elizabeth, and just uh, <laughs> the term ghosting didn't exist yet, but that's pretty much what he does to her. And so we see then Elizabeth, um, you know, sort of uh, venting to Carrie in a coffee shop here, and Carrie concludes this story about you know basically the New York dating scene is actually a harsh reality. It is not that fantasy, and in this age of New York, you know, people have gotten very cynical. And in her words, she, she writes, this, I don't know, what could be sort of a clever line, Cupid has fled the co-op. Yeah, she has a lot of lines like that, you know, sort of, um, you know, very sort of trendy one-liners there. Uh, but that's really setting the scene here. And I think this is a good way to start the show because I think what this, what the show initially does in the pilot in the first season or two is that it is going to subvert that Hollywood depiction of romance, the rom-com, that, that fantasy, this show is going to give you more of the nitty-gritty look on what dating is, at least in New York City. And it's ruthless. And it is cynical. And you're going to have a very, uh, you know, you're going to have a rude awakening if you're not prepared for that. So I think that's, that's the starting point here, and I think they set the tone well. Uh, it's kind of funny how as i was watching this i'm like wow some parts of this have not part, some parts of dating haven't changed except the lingo like you said ghosted uh, ghosted has not been invented yet uh or but, coined right yeah i think no, it's always it's always been a thing they just haven't called it that but yeah no it's it's nice to see like a third like you know i, I think people still talk about these kind of like that career woman um, but it looks like a deep dive into four types of career women. And, and of course, I, like, you know, we got a hint of guys. And, of course, we get the Mr. Big. But, yeah, no, it's kind of funny how that kind of – like those – I feel like I see clips of dating podcasts on my YouTube, and it's kind of the same problems. You know, I, I don't know, like, there's that podcast where that guy's surrounded by girls. And granted, I'm sure, I have no idea what the sequel show talks about, but, like, there's a whole new thing of, like, I wonder how the how these four girls would talk about, like, OnlyFans or something like that. Like, it's a whole new world out there, but some things also never change, too. Right. No, that's, that's a good point, right? Things just sort of become maybe more enhanced by technology or, right, maybe just 
they get different lingo, but it's uh, a different era, same problem. Yeah, basically. no one has a cell phone. No one has uh, like a Facebook or social media. It's a – like there's going to be some buzzwords or names that are thrown around that, of course, are dated, but at the time, huge. Uh, well, you know, I get a kick out of too. Like, great, there's no – there's no cell phones as we know them now, right? There's no smartphones, but the characters do have those old 90s phones that you have to extend the antenna and flip it open to get them to work. And, you know, I, I don't – you maybe only have a few numbers on speed dial there. So, uh, I, again, I just love looking at this this bygone era of the, the late 90s in New York. It's uh, it's uh, it's fun to, to go there, especially in the context of me being a kid and not knowing what it was – and now as an adult, getting more context for it. Uh, so, you know, Carrie, she's going to pose basically like the show's thesis here, uh, which is, you know, why are there so many great unmarried women, but no great unmarried men? She calls this the riddle of the Sphinx, basically. And this is kind of like a question that'll keep coming up throughout the show, right? It's just so hard to find a great single guy and the characters will discuss at length, you know, why that is. And, you know, a lot of times throughout the show, they, they'll, one of the characters will think they found the perfect guy, uh, but you know, it'll turn out only to be on the surface and they'll discover some problematic things about these guys as they get to know them, usually in the bedroom. Yeah, we get, uh, a, so, mo we get a montage mm -hmm. and some of these names I had, to, like, I had to go, hey, this, this is like something like Chat GPT would have made up, like, uh, what, uh, uh, what, Capote Duncan. Capote Duncan, Skipper I, Johnson, think, like, oh, I know, I know. These names are something else. I mean, I, I would think Duncan Capote could be a, a name. Capote Duncan, I, that's a new one for me. But yeah, so speaking of which, yeah, we do now get this montage here of these characters talking directly to the camera about basically addressing Carrie's question here. You know, what what is the issue here? Why are people having a hard time getting together? So. First, we get the perspectives of quote-unquote toxic bachelors, at least as Carrie dubs them. So we get a guy, an ad exec named Peter Mason, a publishing exec named Capote Duncan. They're like in the gym and they're talking about, you know, women, they want too much. They should just relax, just have a good time. Uh, then we get the perspectives here of a couple of Carrie's friends. We get Miranda Hobbs, who's a corporate lawyer, and uh, Charlotte York, who's an art dealer. You know, and you're getting their perspectives too right away, where Miranda is definitely more cynical and you know, a little pissed off, really, <laughs> to be frank. And then Charlotte is like a little more willing to play along with the guys, right? She basically says you have to play by the rules, which I don't think Miranda really goes for that at all. But I do love this image here when we first see Miranda. It's so New York. She is in one of these lunch spots in New York City, it's like um, a self-serve, not like a buffet, but you're filling your container of various different hot food items, right? And it's, you know, like wings, rice, whatever, all sorts of random stuff. And she like kind of holds up her her tongs with the chicken up to the camera. It's, it's such like a, a New York scene, right? Uh, and, you know, Charlotte, con you know, to contrast that as an art dealer, she's in a much more calm environment, a little more, you know, um, at ease. And, uh, you know, that's, those are the two archetypes there, you know, the, um, 
the hopeless romantic, the one who's more optimistic, and then the one that's way more pessimistic. Yeah, Miranda's it's according to Miranda, she's dated the ugly, the beautiful, the fat, the skinny, and it's just like the all it's all the same. Uh and yeah, no, it's it's an interesting insight into at this at this date, modern day dating. And, and you're right. I think I don't know it, it it must be the city because yeah, you uh, she's a corporate lawyer, career driven, and it's not, you know all these other guys are doing career type jobs, and I, it kind of reminds me of college, or at least how people some people went through college, just like one night stands, take it or leave yep. it, goodbye. Uh, but uh, right, what right. one of the guys said, like what, what women really want is Alec Baldwin, and yes, at the time, <laughs> yeah, then, at the they, yeah. at the time, it, and we've talked about Alec Baldwin before, but it's just kind of, uh, that's one of the lines that I was thinking of because like uh, he released like a Christmas picture, uh, the other day. He's like nine kids, <laughs> and I'm not even talking about like with I'm not even talking about with uh, Kim Bassinger, like his current uh, Hilaria Baldwin, like he has like nine kids. No wonder. He wants to be Trump all the time. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. He needs yeah, money. it's such a such a funny person to pick as like, oh, I, all women want is an Alec Baldwin type. <laughs> I was like, really? Is that what they want? I don't know. I mean, obviously, these guys, these uh, execs, are very misguided, and they're basically, you know, they're not going to do any real inner reflection as to why. You know, they're never going to consider the fact that they might be causing problems in their own dating life. Right? They're very much wanting to blame women and they're saying, you know, oh, women, you know, why can't they ever just go for an ugly fat guy? And you're right. Like then Miranda goes, you know, I have, it makes no difference. You're all the same. You're all terrible. I'm going to ask questions from like a non-show watcher. Does the, is this show con- like, do they have these moments of like, I wasn't expecting a montage a interview montage in this show. Right. Do- this is something that really only exists in the first season. Are these moments where people talk directly to the camera about their take on dating or whatever specific subject around dating that the episode is going to examine? So, yeah, it, it sometimes in later episodes of the first season, it comes across very like person on the street, right? Like you're kind of getting a sense maybe through Carrie's point of view that she's talking to maybe just random people like she's doing research she's just trying to sample and get people you know she's just asking random people on the street like what do you think of this part of dating or that part of dating that kind of goes away by season two when they want to just really focus more on the narrative interesting Uh, okay that makes sense usually a lot of stuff like that kind of as the show knows itself a lot more by season two it kind of drops the excess fat I guess. Uh, yeah, and to be fair, I think it would have been a little tedious to get six seasons of just random people getting up close to the camera and being like, "Dating sucks." <laughs> that I think we get enough of that. Fair enough. In Tr- the first, uh, Tr- uh, Truman Capote, uh, no, no, Capote Duncan. Capote Duncan. Capote. What Capote does he Duncan. think? Like divorce? I, I, I'm not even married. Yeah, yeah. These, uh, you know, these these guys. It's like, okay, I, I can only take so much of this. Uh, but then we also get one guy who maybe isn't so toxic, uh, Skipper Johnston, whose name you mentioned before. He's the hopeless romantic. He's like a website creator. He seems like this uh, very, you know, frankly, like nerdy and self-pitying kind of guy who, you know, he has 
Yeah, he he doesn't want to be that that uh, objectifying macho guy. You know, he does want to go into relationships a little more sincerely. But as we'll see, he finds that also maybe to be something that's a hindrance for himself. Yeah, maybe it's just so, me. You know, I, I like, okay, of course, uh, tr- uh, Capote Duncan and Peter Mason are toxic. But I also can't stand that arch- the Skipper Johnson. Like, I like wa- long walks on the beach. Why not me? Uh, like, right, he's like, kind of yeah. a sorry sap. Yeah, exactly. You know, he feels too sad for himself. Yeah. And again, maybe he's blaming... He's 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 looking for external reasons as to why things don't work out for him instead of looking more internally, more inwards. By the time you reach your mid thirties, you think, why should I settle? You know, it's like the older we get, the more we keep self-selecting down to a smaller and smaller group. What women really want is Alec Baldwin. Yeah, there's not one woman in New York who hasn't turned down ten wonderful guys because they were too short or too fat or too poor. I have been out with some of those guys, the short, fat, poor ones. It makes absolutely no difference. They are just as self-centered and unappreciative as the good-looking ones. So uh, now we get a, a scene here where we get all the girls together. This is the first time in the show we get Carrie, Charlotte, Miranda, and Samantha sitting around a table to talk about the subject of the day. Uh, they're at a drag bar, which I thought was an interesting location for this first episode. Uh, they're celebrating Miranda's birthday, you know, another 30 something, 30 ish, yeah. you know, mid 30 ish something year old birthday. And we also get the introductions to Samantha. You know, she is also a, a PR executive. She's, as you watch the show, if you do watch it, she's very good at her job. She is. You know, to be frank, a boss bitch in okay. both her career and in her personal life. And she is my favorite character. And she's usually, like, um, if you ask most fans of the show, they would say she's the best character. Okay. Uh, so it's here she, we it, get. It sounds like mm-hmm. she says what's on her mind. Like, I, I'm sure the writers could yes. have a lot of fun with her. She's the one that is bold and daring enough to get into a situation or like, really. Well, you know, she has, a, I don't know. She's a I, great line. I'll just say this. What really sums up the character, and this is even on like the, um, this, this is one of her best moments that and you're alluding to this. She it will, she's willing to try anything. At one point, she calls herself a trisexual because there's nothing she won't try once. <laughs> um, so yes, she is the kind of person who speaks their mind and will be open really to anything. And she is a very bold character. Uh, and here she is at the table and she is very much an advocate for meaningless flings you know these one night stands just like physical relationships way better in her mind than trying to be in a serious relationship and that you know women should be more selfish like men in the bedroom you know she's she gives carrie the idea basically for the first episode here which is you know what should women have sex like men do which is basically to say should they be more selfish physically uh miranda agrees obviously like her Cynical attitude sort of aligns with Samantha's perspective here. Uh, but Charlotte and Carrie are on the other side of the table, and they're saying, no, you shouldn't give up on finding love. You know, you should, shouldn't be so cynical. But Carrie does get intrigued by this idea, uh, again, like women having sex like men do. And uh, so that's going to be her topic, basically, of the day. So, um, you know, this is the dynamic here. You know, like we were talking about before about different archetypes, and Samantha is that 
person who goes for the one night stands. You know, it's like, remember we were talking about how I met your mother, right? And so Samantha and Barney, they're like part of that team, right? They're just looking to have fun. Whereas uh, Charlotte is like on the same same realm as like a Ted, right? They're They're more looking for love and something serious and you know they're they're not so cynical north south uh, east west you got like a great like four quadrants my question uh, question number two and i'm gonna take a guess how the hell do these four archetypes meet and is it college uh you know what i have to think about that it's been a while since i think i saw an episode that really dived into that i have i think that samantha and carrie have the longest friendship of the four but yeah it's a good question because you're right they are so different but you know i buy it because when you watch oh, no, it, I, I i buy i especially if they met in college that's why I'm that like, is oh, a really i don't think they go back that far i feel okay. like they all became friends living in new york city as single adults they were locked like, this in is the same elevator together and they're like <laughs> uh, yeah this, this is the, i think they all met by happenstance and i think they all this is this is an adulthood friendship right okay. i don't think these any of these go really far back into maybe their childhood or adolescence okay uh but that that's a good question but i think that they do have really good chemistry the four friends yeah and as you see like they're they're very close to each other and as the series goes on there's moments where the friendship really uh means more to them than anything else and it's nice to see that so yeah after that scene uh we have another another like restaurant scene here carrie is getting lunch with her friend stanford and you know he goes on about how you know he can't date anybody because he is too preoccupied with his career. You know that's another familiar story that we see in some other you know movies about romance. Uh, but Stanford spots an ex lover of Carrie. Uh, this guy Kurt is at the bar, and this is a guy, as Carrie explains, that she's been with uh, several times over the course of her life, and she, you know, it took a while for her to get over him. Uh, and Sanford is warning her, like, do not get back with him. You know, this is not good. He's a toxic guy. But Carrie gets an idea. She's basically going to try out this sort of selfish sex on this guy, Kurt. And, you know, you get an interesting scene here where she approaches him. And she's basically, like, really forward about, like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get back together. And, uh, you know, he's like, who said anything about talking? You know, like, it's... It's very clear the where they're communicating that there's one thing that they each have in mind. Now, I think because it's this only scene, uh, R.I.P. Willie Garson. Like, uh, it right, sounds, right, it sounds yeah. like he, it. I'm guessing Stanford is a big side character plot to the show, or like he, like he's a lovable. Yeah, he, yeah, he's he's um, definitely a. I mean, he's a recurring character. Obviously, he is someone that you know has his own stories and. Uh, there's just, you know, he's, he's, you don't really follow him too much, right? He's not in every episode. I say he's probably in like maybe a little, a little over half the episodes, but definitely someone who's always connected to Carrie. Well, that I'm going to guess that this is Darren star. Uh, okay. That's maybe an interesting observation. And Carrie is Candace. Like this is their conversations. This is their friendship. Oh, good uh, point. Yeah. I, maybe they did have a similar conversation leading up to the show. And uh, 
Yeah, no, I just uh, I watched this and I thought of immediately Freaky Friday. Remember, he was. The, oh, he was in that. He's he's the patient. That, he was the patient. Yeah, the, I haven't seen him right. in like much. I think like this, and maybe uh, he was in another show. Um, but hey, R.I.P. R.I.P. Okay, so in the next scene here, Carrie and Kurt are in bed, and he's basically going down on her. And as uh, you know, as soon as she's satisfied, she leaves. And she's like, "Yeah, I gotta go." <laughs> and he's like, "Wait, really? Uh, what about me?" Uh, but nope, she's uh, trying again. She's she's doing this experiment here on this guy, and she feels pretty good about it. I guess also because it's a little bit of revenge. Uh, seems like this guy did not treat her very well when they had been going out before years prior. Uh, but a more vital scene here. Uh, on the street, Carrie, she drops her purse. Uh, the contents, including a whole roll of condoms there, falls right out. And she gets help from a very handsome man. Uh, this guy, we don't know his name yet. Actually, we won't really know his name for most of the series. But uh, this is the Christopher Noth character. And so, uh, you know, he's nice to her about it. And they have like a nice little moment there where they meet on the street before they part ways. A meet cute, as they call it. <laughs> very much so. He seems almost like intrigued by her that she has this whole role of Trojans <laughs> that came out of her purse i find that kind of funny so in the next scene here uh carrie and skipper are i guess they're getting coffee or something you know a lot of the scenes here are in a restaurant interestingly enough but they're uh they're having a conversation here where skip is you know, he, he feels like his nice guy personality makes him unattractive and you know i something about this scene that rubbed me the wrong way though uh at one point carrie like half jokingly asks if he's gay and yeah it's like what is that supposed to mean like because he maybe has not such a forward personality or demeanor like that means he maybe isn't straight or as much of a man you know like there's that that's one comment i thought didn't age too well and uh, there have been other moments throughout the series where the commentary again didn't really age too well i think some of the attitudes about sexuality in terms of sexual orientation were um you know it was it was of its time let's say oh yeah wait until you get the entourage <laughs> oh boy <laughs> we, we will get, get there we will get spoiler there, but, alert but i yeah this is at least how i'm seeing it and even this is uh darren star is gay and, and i'm not saying it is it's 1998 and i'm not like excusing it but i how i see the show is like how women not only view themselves, but how they view masculinity as opposed to guys talking about masculinity. And no, I think you're absolutely you, right. You about noticed that line that. more than me. I was just kind of going like, "Yep." I, I wanted to just like shake him and go, "Confidence, son, confidence." Uh, yeah, get a hold of yourself. Uh, <laughs> Smack. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me take over this. Get a hold of yourself. Uh, but yeah, he definitely is someone who needs a confidence boost, uh, to put it lightly. Uh, so you know, he asked. Carrie, like, you know, can you hook me up with one of your friends? She's like, well, you know, they're a bit old for you. And he's like, no, I, I like older women. So she gets the idea, Carrie, to uh, introduce Skipper to Miranda, even though she knows this is risky because Miranda basically thinks that all men are terrible. But, uh, you know, what the heck? Let's give it a shot. Um, and then one transition scene we get here when Carrie is home, she gets a call from Charlotte, who it's not going to be able to join them for their upcoming night out because she is going on a date with the aforementioned Capote Duncan, 
I believe they're going to the Mets. Uh, but it was Capone Gary. Duncan in the living room with the like. It sounds like a board game <laughs> character. God damn, Capone Duncan. But uh, apparently he's, according to Carrie, when she looks at the camera, she says that this Capote guy is one of the most unattainable bachelors in the city. I mean, with the name like that, he sounds almost like a fictional person, right? Like that someone made up. Like, oh, that Capote Duncan, and everyone's looking for him. Only the discovery doesn't exist. But uh, no, sure enough. Charlotte will be going on a date with this guy. It's interesting when I like I was thinking about that, uh, not even uh, knowing where the show goes. But I was, when I was as I was writing the note, I wrote like "Unattainable Bachelor," and I do like, you know, what's the glass half full, glass half empty side of that sentence? It's like glass half full. He, okay, he's a good looking guy, good looking actor. Like, you know, good job. Um, why is he unattainable though? Like what? Like right, right. Why is what? it that he doesn't want to settle down? Is it that he has high standards, or is he just a very problematic person? Yeah, right? and, like and we already kind of know what his line of thinking is from the montage. Right, exactly. He already has like these. Again, he, he's dubbed already by Carrie as a toxic bachelor, yeah. and uh, Charlotte is going to discover how exactly later on in the episode. But if you're not part of the beauty Olympics, you can still become a very interesting person. Are you saying that I'm not pretty enough? No, 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 no. Of course you are. So, ipso facto, I can't be interesting? Women either fall into one of two categories, beautiful and boring, or homely and interesting. Is that what you're saying, Skippy? <laughs> no, no, that's not what I meant. Excuse me, is this your hand on my knee? No. <laughs> all right, let's just keep him where I can see him, all right? Well, I guess you must find me beautiful. Or interesting. Uh, so now we move on to basically the meat of the show here. We're going to be going to a downtown club called Chaos, which Carrie describes as the big hookup club in New York City. It's this like very trendy place that looks like it's maybe downtown or maybe in the meatpacking district. You New know. York's hottest club is Chaos. Here we got Chaos. Here we got Willie Garson, the Sex and the City girls, a mom. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's uh it's it's a funny name for this kind of place and I guess you know they're just also trying to overly emphasize that this dating world in general is just a world of chaos, right? Uh but you know it's also a very moody looking place, almost a little gothic. I feel like there's you know they're very close to having flames somewhere, you know, like those plastic flames or something. Or at least people's it, fire spinners or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of a cheesy looking place. But again, of the time, I can imagine this being a popular place in the late 90s. Uh, so we see Miranda and Skipper at the bar. And Skipper is having a tough time here talking to Miranda, right? She's kind of twisting all of his words. You know, he's trying to say like, yeah, you know, like you, you can be beautiful, but you don't have to be. You can still be interesting. And Miranda's like, well, what are you trying to say? Am I not beautiful? Oh, no, you're beautiful. Oh, so am I not interesting? You know, like he, she's really grilling him here she's doing and, it on but, purpose i know i've right this type right, at right. parties and i i get along with this because i play into it like or i or i don't play oh, i can imagine you having fun with uh, i can imagine you having fun with this sort of aggressiveness or this hostility you know because it'll just roll off your back obviously for skipper it rolls off, but uh, yeah no and he's playing and he's playing into her he, tricks he, like right she's exactly setting him up he's, for all that He's stumbling. He's like, no, no, no. Like he's yeah. trying to correct himself. And you're right. Like the best way to do this is to kind of just not be affected by it too much and just try to 
you know, wear her down with more sincerity and not get too hung up on, you know, uh, the little things you're saying. Yeah, he's nervous. Uh, I get it. But right, yeah, right. he's kind of he's very green. He's very like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he said in the earlier scene, it's been almost a year for him uh, yeah. since he's been with the woman. So, yeah, uh, he's a little rusty there on, I don't know, just talking to women, flirting the whole the whole game there. So we also get uh, another scene here where Carrie runs into Kurt. Right. We're still at the club and he's telling her, you know, bef- what we did before was really great. I'm glad you're finally open to just having a physical relationship. Let's continue with this. And Carrie just kind of nods and she's like, okay, yeah, sure. And then, you know, she sees this guy then go up to another woman at the bar. And you could tell that this is a turning point for her. You know, she's like, you know what? I don't think actually I like that. This, this having selfish sex like men do and having just a physical relationship, you know, I could tell in her face in that moment, it's empty for her. And so, you know, she gave it a shot, but she doesn't like what that might mean for her and what, kind of road that might lead her down well she got what she wanted but did she like you know it, it was nice to try it's kind of like it, it is that sitcom like you wound up the guy who's you know been going after your heart who's kind of been one night standing you sounds like you know from 92 to 94 to 96 he's been getting the best of you so you're going to get the best of him and then you know what it looked like he's like whoa you got the best of me and said, Hey, I love this. Like we finally, we finally get each other. And he's, I, I see, I'm not saying it's not believable, but I just, and I'm not trying to be Skipper Johnson in the moment, but I just like the, the boldness and of just like, Oh, I just hooked up with you. And now I'm going to go try to hook up with a woman in front of you. It's right, just, right, because he he has the impression that she's cool with all that. Yeah, now. exactly. It, she's she's not right. She's still bothered by this, and so she can't pretend that she is this person who can be with someone physically with absolutely no strings attached at all. She's just not that kind of person. But you know, she gave it a shot. I never uh, want to so, say like, "Oh, men are stupid," but then I'll read like a an article or something. I'm like, "You're." St- you're effing stupid, dude. Well, like, what the hell? Like, and I'm not. And women have their own dating side of things, and I'm sure. And this show definitely covers that. And I'm sure. I hope another show down the line kind of covers modern day dating. And if it exists, I'm sorry I haven't mentioned you. But it's uh, yeah, no, it's <laughs> what a stupid man. Oh yeah, he really is. I mean, he's also again that archetype of this guy who just goes around he's a player right and he definitely is very conceited and so uh he's going to really not be able to pick up on carrie's true emotions about the situation right like he's going to read into the situation how he wants to uh so then samantha comes up to carrie right after this and points out at the bar is that handsome man that carrie ran into earlier although she claims to have never seen him before and Samantha's going on about how this guy, this is the highly sought after bachelor bachelor. Now the next big thing, she even says that he's just like Trump, except more attractive. Uh, not a great comparison. I think even for the time, but you know, this is where Carrie will now dub him Mr. Big, at least in the narration, because I think that's based on Samantha saying that he's the next big thing. Oh, I'm so thinking where- like Mr. Big shot, like, Right, same yeah. same idea, right? Big thing, big shot. So 
the show, Carrie, the, even her friends will refer to him as Mr. Big. Okay. And we don't really get his name for pretty much the entire show. Well, there's that like running gag. I I, I don't know his name. I, I'm sure it's revealed. But like uh, it's kind of. I believe it's like revealed. That. I can't remember though if it's in the finale or in one of the movies, but it does come up eventually. There is a line though, and this is where I'm like, this is a. I'm like, damn, this is a good line. It's just like uh, Samantha has that delusional confidence that could make Ross Perot, that makes men like Ross Perot run for president, and I'm like, oh, that boy. that may, I'm like that like. You you said your line that sums up Samantha. At least in the pilot, I'm like, oh, I get Samantha. Like she, yep. She, because uh, you know, you think of all the. It doesn't matter the party. You think of all the guys who run for president every election year. I'm like, who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> right, right. And, Especially but, to run with such gusto. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, she takes her. She's going to take her shot. She uh, really is. And so, meanwhile, uh, Charlotte is on this date again with Capote at the Met. They're leaving the museum, and he invites her back to his loft, which, you know, she agrees. She doesn't want to end the night too early, according to Carrie's narration. So we see them at his place. They start to get a little hot and heavy, a little kissing, but she's like, you know, I got to get get up early in the morning. You know, she wants to play classy. She likes this guy. She wants this to be... She wants to play this the old-fashioned way, right? Charlotte is very old-fashioned in how she handles her dating life. And he seems to be respecting and accepting this. So he gets her a cab. And at the very last second, you know, Charlotte gets in the cab. They kiss goodnight. Seems like it all went great. But at the last second, Capote decides to get in the cab with her and tells the guy to go to chaos. Charlotte is like, wait, why are you going there? And he goes, listen, I respect you. I, I understand why you're you know, not sleeping with me right now, but I need to have sex tonight. <laughs> that is what he says. He's very forward about it. And I don't think in a real situation it would play out that way in terms of the dialogue. But I think in this show, you know, we're really trying to emphasize and examine people's perspectives, their thoughts, right? They're, they're, why they're doing what they're doing. And so that's why people maybe vocalize their thoughts a little bit more on the show than they would in real life. And I think it is kind of funny too, to, to hear that verbalized. That's a so, good way uh, to yeah. put it. That's a really yeah. good way to put, it because you're looking at this going like, okay, it is a comedy and this is funny in some ways. Like the, the, or the, the, the moment is uh, so outlandish that it's, yeah, and it's talking about like, especially it kind of sums up the episode a little bit on Charlotte's end, like, you know, looking for this good guy, playing hard to get, likes him, and then he's like, look, I like you, but I really need to have sex tonight. And it just uh, – I'm allowing the the hyper-real – like, you know, the I know this is fiction. Like, this isn't real right. life, especially when right. we're going to just... not know a guy's real name for six seasons. You know what I mean? I, yeah, exactly. We're in um, in this in this world, right? We're going to have to accept that people are going to be a little more forward about their intentions, and so you know, unfortunately for for Charlotte, this is really not going to have to. This is not going to continue with her, right? She's not going to be okay with a guy that she's gone a date with, then having sex with someone else right afterwards. And you know, poor Charlotte. You know, she, Kristen Davis, does a really good job of 
having a very similar reaction a lot of times. You know, a lot of when her when her relationships don't work out, it's usually for similar reasons. Like the guy doesn't respect her in a certain way. You know, he's a little too crude, or he just um, you know shocks her in a certain way, and she has like a similar reaction. Um, probably the funniest story. Uh, you know, she has a whole saga where she goes out with and marries Kyle McLaughlin, which is really funny. But there's um one particular Kyle McLaughlin, he's in this? Yes, yes, he has a whole he's in it for like at least a season and a half. Yeah, absolutely oh, he is. He is. I might just watch his episodes because I, I Kyle McLaughlin's like one of my favorite character actors. And he's like I love He's him, great. And we're He's and great in this. This isn't the <laughs> the first time we're going to talk about I know it won't be the last time we're uh, we're going to talk about him but I really enjoy Kyle MacLachlan in just about anything right. he like he's popped oh, up I agree. How I met your Mo- mother like mm-hmm. yeah but uh, oh, yeah. I he, might just he, watch he's... his episodes <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah that's that's the end of Charlotte's story in the in the pilot unfortunately see that guy he's the next Donald Trump except he's younger and much better looking Hi. you know him? No, I've never seen him in my life. I usually dates models, but hey, I'm as good looking as a model. Plus, I own my own business. Samantha had the kind of deluded self-confidence that caused men like Ross Perot to run for president. And it usually got her what she wanted. Well, if you're not going to hit on him, I will. And there she went, off to take her best shot with Mr. Big. Uh, but back at the club... You know, Samantha is going to make her move on Mr. Big. You know, she approaches him smoking a cigar. You know, uh, he clearly doesn't seem interested. He's like, oh, I, I don't like that brand of cigar. You know, Samantha's not very subtle <laughs> with how she's, you know, consuming this cigar. But she offers him a tour of the club. You know, she says, uh, I'm, I do the PR for this place. I can give you a private tour if you want. But he says, no, thanks. And so you know, we get this reaction from Samantha where she remains fairly composed but just cracks a little bit in her face her disappointment and displeasure with having been denied and uh, that's another that's another thing i love watching kim cattrall do this character because she has such a great control over the physicality of the character her facial expressions and whatnot and um you know samantha too is i she's my favorite character because you know in moments where she doesn't get what she wants she's pretty funny but in moments where she does get what she wants she is like the cat that ate the canary. She is so pleased with herself, even when she's just saying a funny line and she's proud of herself. But in these moments of like sexual satisfaction, you know, getting the guy that she wants and, you know, having him do the things she wants him to do. It is just so funny to watch. And, you know, she really she she's the most fascinating character to watch, too, in that regard, because she does just go to places. It's almost like she does the things that we're almost as an audience too afraid to explore ourselves. You know, you're, you know how I sold you the, the passion of how I met your mother. I think I might want to just casually dip my toe into sex and the city. It is a casual watch. I promise you that because the episodes go by fast. They're pretty funny. And you know, if you maybe just put on, if you just start watching a, a one session of episodes before you know it you'll you will have watched like five like they go by so quickly and i was shocked very... about this one it was like 20 yeah. something it was really kind of like that clean cut half hour and it, it nothing dragged but yeah no it's it it, it, it kind of went by really fast but uh no you it's uh a, like yeah. 
like you're kind of selling. I hope who who was ever listening, if they've ever watched the show, I wonder if they're getting the same feeling. My only point I wanted to add, just from my perspective, was just like it's this is like. I guess this is the scene where that sets Mr. Big apart from the rest of the men. Like he he, he, he sounds like a guy who knows what he wants or he seems very he it sounds like he is the bachelor. Right. Maybe he is the that, golden bachelor. <laughs> he is going to be on the next season of the golden bachelor, but you're right. There's there's he he doesn't want maybe the exact same things that all these other guys want. His perspective maybe is a little different. You know, hopefully for good, but we'll see. Um, you know, not to say he's far from a perfect character. We'll definitely say that. Uh, so, you know, after Samantha gets uh, rejected there, uh, we see Skipper and Miranda leaving the club. And, you know, Miranda's going to leave him. She's trying to be nice. Like, listen, you're a nice guy, but, uh, you know, good night. But, you know, I think Skipper finally at the last possible second grows a little bit of a backbone and sweeps Miranda into a kiss. And she responds to that. I think she actually is a pleasant surprise for her. And we leave them off in this pilot episode in that embrace. So, you know, I think that just goes to show that confidence is always going to be attractive to either sex. That was his moment. That was yeah, the that, moment. <laughs> he see, as opposed to Ted and how I met your mother, uh, Skipper. Yeah. He actually he didn't even need a signal. He wasn't getting a signal. Yeah, and true. He still made his move. So yeah, that that's uh, you know, good for him. I'll say he has his moment. So um, we do get another interesting twist here, though, because Capote, we do see him one more time. He does go home with samantha and i'm sure if samantha knew that she that uh capote had just been with charlotte less than an hour prior she would not have gone home with him but you know they both want the same thing in that moment so that's why they end up together they both been turned down uh right and yeah right. they're both that they're both kind of having sex with each other just in a different gender <laughs> right they're both using each other yeah but they both She'll be know gone. That. They know the routine. Like, I'll be gone. Hey, like, I got work tomorrow. It's like, don't worry. I'll be gone before you even wake up. Right. And then so much of this show is exploring, like, two people who want the same thing, finding each other at the right time. And so that is the case for these two, even if it's just for a night. Uh, so we get the last scene here. Carrie is uh, alone now. It's the end of the night. She's trying to hail a cab. Doesn't seem like there's too many around. But Mr. Big pulls up in his private car. And offers her a ride, so she gets in the back seat with him. And so they get to know each other a little bit in the back seat here. Carrie explains her job as a columnist. Yeah, you know, at first she calls herself a sexual anthropologist. I like that. Which, right? I like which that. Which is like yeah. actually not too far from the truth. I mean, she does that. She does dedicate herself to that topic of sexuality and dating. So yeah, you know, she's talking about her latest column subject, which is again. The idea of women having meaningless sex similar to men. But Mr. Big, you know, he he has a rebuttal here. He goes, Well, you know, he says that he doesn't have he doesn't have sex that way. And he makes a call here. He tells Carrie, you know, you probably just have never been in love. I think he's basing that on her cynical attitude here. And in that moment, I think Carrie is at a loss for words. You know, she says in the narration, you know, she just wanted to crawl under the covers in that moment. And, Wind knocked you know, out of her. 
like basically. Yeah. Very, very thrown off by that because here's a guy who really is um, like the anomaly. You know, he's kind of proving her theory wrong that all guys want the same thing. And so we get kind of like a, I don't want to say like a mysterious ending here, but it does kind of end off a little intriguing. So Carrie gets dropped off on her block. She says she lives, I believe, on 3rd Avenue and 72nd Street. So an Upper East Side gal. And as soon as she gets out of the car, she asks Mr. Big one last thing before he drives off. And she says, have you ever been in love? And he says, abso-fucking-lutely. Great last line. Like, I can imagine uh, Darren typing that going like, I got a pilot. Like, that's such a great way to end the line. And also, like, the way it ends officially, too, is great. Yeah, that shot of her just very looking very confused in that moment it's like an interesting angle right it feels almost noir in a way i was about, you got the fo- you got like the 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 rainy street you got the jazz the like the yeah like like right uh, there's a, a real style fatale. to that yeah you know i loved yeah. it i really liked it too i think it leaves as a viewer i think it it's good at leaving you wanting more right because it's like oh okay like we're just starting to tap the surface here uh of this this well of of this topic you know there's there's way more to the characters there's the characters are going to discover new things that they didn't realize and you know there's going to be twists and turns here even though again we're not talking about murder we're not talking about like you know a a mystery or anything we're just we're talking about a very relatable subject but we're going to be going in very surprising directions here emotional stakes are stakes like like like, yeah absolutely something like this like I mean, this is why uh, a show doesn't need murder to be intriguing. And right, I like, think it's just really about of, opening yeah. opening up your mind to what sex can mean, what can it include, and you know, like what what different people can bring to the table and what they're capable of. I think that's really um, the note we're leaving off here is that you know, that you really sh- you you should clear all your expectations when it comes to where the show is going to go and what it might teach you about sexuality. It's kind of, like, I think I mentioned way earlier in the episode, I said like, Oh, I think the success of this is why I kind of understand the success of Barbie a little more. And it's also like, just to relate it to Barbie a little bit, like Barbie's not made for guys, but it it's for everybody. Like it, it is a entertaining uh, movie. I would say, of course, girls are going to uh, – women are going to get the most out of Sex in the City. But I think it's written and acted and hopefully – like, you know, I, I'm sure there's stuff in the show that you're like, oh, they should not have done that or who knows. But it's enter- it's a wild ride of a show that like it's it's not just for women, but it is made for women. Right. I think women will find this the most relatable, again, because there are the four archetypes. I think that, you know, you kind of hear this cliche like, oh, I'm a Miranda. I'm a Samantha. Da, da, da. Like, I think every a lot of women who watch the show find at least one of the main four they can identify with. But who am absolutely, I? I think <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I think I'm a Miranda personally. I really? Think you. Because I, I can be a very cynical person. I relate to her situations the most because also Miranda, she quite often finds herself in some very awkward situations. 
And so I, I, again, identify with that quite a bit. And yeah, you don't have to be a woman to identify with the characters. I think the fact that it's about women, you know, I think that it's a good perspective. But at the same time, I think anyone could find the show relatable just because they're talking about fairly universal themes here. So, you know, you, you don't have to be like, oh, I'm a Miranda or whatever. But, you know, I think you watch the show, you see the kind of people they run into, and you might say, oh, I, I've, I've been out with someone like that. You know, or I had a similar date that went just as badly. You know, I think Definitely. that's right. Uh, I think there's something in it that everyone can can see in themselves. But who am I? You were about to say. I'm kind of curious. <laughs> uh, I'll say you're a Charlotte because you're just an old fashioned. You do it the old fashioned way, as you okay. like to jokingly yeah. rap. <laughs> Your name is Keith, and you're here to say. You know, they have sex, and then afterwards they feel nothing. But you're not like that. Well, aren't you? Not a drop. Not even half a drop. Wow. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I get it. You've never been in love. Have you ever been in love? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's the end of the episode here. And, you know, for me, what I was touching on before is how this show seems to be very subversive, at least in the beginning. You know, the show has this very, like, nitty-gritty perspective and an edge, which I find very appealing, especially, like, this is how it is from the first couple seasons. I will say that over the course of the show, it does change in terms of the tone. And, you know, it, it became very, very popular and as we see in a lot of other TV shows, that once a show gets very popular, bigger budget, bigger production value, you can see that. And unfortunately, I feel like by the time you get to season six, it's it's still an entertaining show and I still like it, but it kind of becomes more melodramatic and almost it, it, it really becomes that per, like that Hollywood romantic dramedy comedy that it initially set out to, like I said, subvert and undermine. You know, it it became it became the thing. You know what I mean? And uh, I find that unfortunate, especially when you get to the movies, which I'll finally bring up. The movies are really like unfortunate because they are basically like a carbon copy of any other romantic comedy that was ever made in terms of the look, in terms of just the whole way about them, and they're way too long and. Frankly, they're not very good. Uh, so Is it just I mean, like them on a beach in like Malibu? Like, oh, sex in the city goes on vacation. Sex in the city. That's how uh, the second one road is. Road trip. The, or... <laughs> that, the second one is the road trip one, and that's really where it gets off the walls and off the rails. But the, uh, the first one kind of tries to cap off the series narratively, but it goes into such overdramatic territory that I found it almost to be unbearable. Especially the Carrie character, I think if you continue to watch it, you will find that the Carrie character is probably the least likable character. Uh, I think she winds up being the most um, immature and selfish character of the bunch. She's the character who over really... Samantha, over Samantha, over Samantha. Really? Yes, because at least Samantha. Really? Wow. So, here's the thing: Samantha knows herself. Carrie doesn't know what she wants. 
And that's something I found very frustrating towards the end of the show. She constantly, when, when, when she's single, she wants to be in a relationship. When she's in a relationship, she wants to be single again, right? And it's like she, she never can be happy. And every time she gets into a relationship, it's like she rediscovers all the things she hates about being in a couple. Like, oh, I have to share things about my life. Oh, I have to compromise. I have to be willing to listen to someone else's problems. Like she has to – she rediscovers these things over and over and over again. So I find uh, that to be okay. frustrating. I think that's almost intentional from the writing is that she is someone who just is emotionally less mature than the rest. Because you can really tell by the end of the show, the other characters really have their lives together and she does not. That's a pet peeve of mine in uh, in TV shows. And I think it sometimes it happens in movies, but of course in TV shows you can go – we want to see our characters grow, but when they keep making this, when the writers go like, okay, we have all these seasons, they're just, it's wheel spinning. It's wheel spinning. Like, it's just. Right. The character devolves so much, I'll say this, with the movie, in the first movie, the character becomes so helplessly sad at one point that Samantha has to hand feed her oatmeal in one scene because she is so sad she can't even feed herself food. That is that is where she is. And at that point, you know, it's like what what can you do? <laughs> like this character is is a lost cause, I would I would think. Um so that that was my wow. I'm, curi- I'm yeah. curious. It gets now. goofy. I'm it gets curious. goofy. I'm very curious now like the how to But get the other from characters remain strong. Yeah, I would. I, I don't want that to be a deterrent for anyone who wants to watch the show. I would say still watch it because the other characters, I think, the appeal of the of the other three outweigh what I find to be the frustrating aspect of the main character. So, um, yeah, still a lot there that's worth enjoying. Uh, a really fun ride. Uh, so yeah, we're we're starting down this road here, and uh, we're just very excited to bring you more discussions on these uh, HBO pilots. So. Next up, next week, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite shows of all time and uh, another big landmark show, not just for the network, but I think for television in general, and that is The Sopranos. So, uh, The big one. Yeah. One of the big ones. Definitely a big one. No pressure at all. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, next on the lineup. So uh, looking forward to that, Keith, and uh, catch you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us to the Pilot. That's Take Us to the Pilot with the number two. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.